Hey, I'm Micah. And I'm Jen. From 1994 to 1996, Jen lived in the middle of nowhere, Montana. But not by choice. She was sent to a therapeutic boarding school. I had some issues. While there, she performed hard labor. There was also a lot of forced exercise. Went through daily, hours-long group therapy. That shit didn't work. And when she left, she was left with some holes in her life. Holes? One of the holes was her pop culture hole. Yeah, I missed a lot of shit. And that's a hole we can fill. So watch out for Satan and the commies. It's time for... I never saw that. Mike, I'd like to introduce you to someone. Oh, okay, a guest. Yeah, we have a guest wow. uh, on the show today. Uh, her name's Handy. Handy? Hi, Micah. I'm Handy. Hi, Handy. <laughs> How's it going? Jen's holding her hand up. Well, I'm doing ventriloquism. Well, and you know, I mean, the you're, thing about, you're holding your hand up okay, in the, the air thing about doing moving it when you talk. Ventriloquism is that it is a visual medium. And yeah, in yeah, yeah, this yeah. episode, hi, this is, I never saw that. And we watched episodes five and six of Northern Exposure season six. Yeah. Because it's the, and it's the final season and we're doing the whole season because, because that's what we're doing now. We're a Northern Exposure podcast for the next, for the foreseeable future. Anyway. What Chris does in this episode, Chris is the DJ, played by John Corbett. Radio DJ. Old school radio. Right, right, right. Radio. Broadcast radio. Yeah. Very attractive man, by the way. Um, kind of insufferable, though, a little bit. You know, you said that earlier, and I do want to talk about that, but it, let's wait. Because... I mean, that's what this whole episode's about, in a way. No. That part of it. Can you just let... Jesus Christ. My point is... Chris gets a dummy, a ventriloquist dummy, and he does ventriloquism on the radio. Like where he really is doing it, he's not moving his mouth, and the dummy is talking. Yeah, and he... everybody's really into it. But the thing is, you could just do a voice and move your mouth yep. around because it's the radio. But now, he has a real dummy sitting on his lap. Yeah. And he's he's actually, like, it looks like John Corbett's really no, good at ventriloquism. Exactly. Th they did this because he's good at ventriloquism. Like, this is clearly just a skill that he has practiced. It's like that episode of the Golden Girls where they tap dance just because they could tap dance. And so yeah. they wanted to show that off. I think there's, I, I actually have been thinking about that a lot recently. Like, scenes like that in different movies or TV shows. Like, someone juggles or someone does something weird that doesn't really fit. But you're like, oh, that person just knew how to do that. Yeah, let's write this in. Which is cool. So let's make that a thing. Anyway, it was insufferable. The dummy thing was insufferable. And the dummy thing on the radio was very bad. But I did think it was funny <laughs> because it was basically a lot like see you in the funny papers. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that works out. Only, I mean, to be fair to you, Micah, that the dummy thing was way worse. Oh, thank you. See, in the funny papers, you're describing the visual, at least. Mm -hmm. And that's the joke. In this case, there was no joke. It He's was just, just talking into him talking voices. without moving his lips for no fucking reason. Well, later, it becomes really popular. The segment becomes really right. popular. And he, the, he goes out the dummy becomes really dummy. popular. But people show up at the radio station and look through the windows and watch him do it. Yes, that's true. But not for quite a while. Yeah, the, the so, first time he does it, it's pointless <laughs> and really weird. Oh, God. It really was, yeah. But you could say that the whole act of ventriloquism is very, very weird. It is It is very weird. It's a super bizarre I skill mean, that's not uh, like transferable to anything else. I mean, maybe if you're a like a yeah. magician or a con man and you need to throw your voice, right, but that's right. not really to what they're speak doing. without moving your mouth. I mean, yeah. If you're trying to fool someone into thinking that you're dead, but then you talk <laughs> just to fucking scare the shit out of them. Like, yeah, that it just could be, be a, a very specific situation. Mm -hmm. It's a very, very no, difficult very skill specific. to learn. Yeah, and it is very, it's only for this. It's only for a dummy or a, you know, some sort of puppet. Like, that's, that's an interesting thing. I've never really thought about that before, but like, who like was how the useless first it is? ventriloquist? Who came up with this as a thing? And how yeah. did it become a thing? Why didn't it just become like one dude who did it and then people were like, well, that's fucking nothing? Why? Okay, here's my question. Like, did the dummy, was the dummy designed along with? 
the invention of the ventriloquism Which itself. Which came first, exactly. the not moving or, your or, lips or, or the they, wooden dummy? That's what I'm saying. Or were they, did they come together? hey Sex Ch- podcast. Check out our sex podcast. Okay. Well, that could have been a really nice segue into seeing the funny papers. Why wasn't it? Oh, just because we talked about a bunch I made of the other sex stuff thing? and went, went off into different Do you want direction. me to go back? No. I mean, we can't go back, Jen. You can never go back. See you in the funny papers. See you in the funny papers. See you in the funny papers. All right, Jen, it's October 11th, 1994. I got a special one for you. Close to home. We've done Close to Home a few times. Have we? Yeah. Who's in Who's in Close to Home? I don't remember it. It's not, there's not a character. It's okay, just so a little- so there's literally nothing to remember about slice it. Slice of life type. Nothing interesting. It's nothing weird. Nothing memorable. Yeah, no, not really. Okay. Great, um, Micah. Okay, so it's a one panel. You'll be happy to hear I that. I'm quite happy about that. Um, And it's, uh, the reason I picked this is because the scene is on uh, a highway. It's a two-lane highway. We can see two cars. They're both going in the same direction. You know what that makes me think of? Planes, trains, and automobiles. Oh, nice. Which I only watched twice this year. Yeah, it's Jen's favorite Thanksgiving movie. It's one of Jen's favorite uh, movies, I yeah, think. Yeah, top, mm, top 10. I, was, I don't think it's in the top five, but it is up there, my friends. She loves it. It's I great. I fucking love it because it's great. We haven't watched the extra 75 minutes that they just released, um, but it's out there. If anybody else wants more, like, unedited, terrible deleted scenes, then it's well, out it's there. Well, it's not Go about see it. that so much as explaining some of the things that happened in the movie that didn't, that don't make complete sense. Anyway, that's not what we're talking about. Yeah, that's about. a we're whole t- different podcast that you're going to start. But I mean, two cars going the same direction on the highway is, like, straight out of that movie, so. Yeah, well, th- these two cars are on the same on the same, you know, uh-huh. they're on the right they're side of the, the road. They're on the same side of the median. Yeah. Um, we can only see half of one of the cars because, because it's behind a giant sign. The other car is just entering the frame, and we just see the front, like two-thirds of it, I'd say. So you can see the hood. Um, you can see a little black tire. And you can see in the windows, you can see some passengers. The other car, we just see the back of because it's behind this huge road sign that's in the foreground. So the road is going up from kind of the bottom left to the bottom right or top right of the frame. It's more in the middle. It's not that extreme, but it's just kind of diagonal up. And in the background across the road, we can see two trees that look like oaks or something, you know, like deciduous trees. And then one fir tree, I guess, or a pine that's just, um, it's like how a child would draw a tree. Sure, yeah. It's just lines, just swooping (laughs) lines down on each side, no trunk, nothing very little detail went into this tree. It very well could just be like a stick with a whole bunch of rope hanging off of it. It's like how I draw trees. I don't know. This is pretty bad. Mm-hmm. It's pretty shitty. Um, <laughs> the other reason I chose this, uh, as I said, the cars. Um, yeah. I really like cars, Jen. I know. I've always liked cars my whole life. I've been into uh-huh. cars. I can't draw a car at all. Yeah, you can. I I mean, I kind of can. People would look at it and be like, yeah, that's a car that Uh, a toddler drew. No, wrong. It has like the shape of car. I draw cars like a toddler. For for real, legitimately, I cannot cannot produce images from my mind and, and create them on paper. You you can draw a car. And this these cars are okay, but they're kind of like you know the problem where you can never get the the hood and the like the windows and the door, like the proportions aren't right. The hood's too low and long. Yeah. And is, the back and the front look exactly the same of a sedan. Sure. You know? Um, is this relevant to yeah, the I just because that's why I picked or? it. Um so these cars are very tall and boxy and the hoods are flat. Like not there's no slope up. Like most hoods kind of uh-huh. slope a okay. little bit. Yeah. Hoods are totally flat. And the hood itself, I can see, is there because there is a straight line. It's just a rectangle right on top of the middle of the front of the car. Let um, me tell you, the fucking punchline of this better have something to do with the shape of these fucking cars. It doesn't. I'm just, <laughs> oh my God. I'm just really into the cars. Now, I mentioned you can see into the windows of this car, and you can see the passenger in the front and a passenger in the back. And I'm just assuming here, you know, they're on a road trip. Um, so it's like the mom or the grandma and then a kid in the back. Um, in the front, this person has 
a little not the nose isn't too big it's a little little round nose <laughs> big fucking eyeball like they're shocked their mouth is wide open um no lips or teeth so this is a she's an old gummer i think um <laughs> she has her head kind of slopes back no discernible neck her head just kind of slopes back and then there's like shoulders just a mound of shoulders and back like she's kind of hunched over sitting in the seat and she has hairs coming up in the middle of her head, just a bunch of single lines, like a mohawk almost. Can No Discernible Neck be the title of your memoir or something? Like, I, mean, I just really love that phrase. I have a discernible neck, so that'd be weird. The whole first chapter would just have to be about the the one time I described right. a comic. Anyway. Um, and there are polka dots on her outfit she's wearing. Micah? What's the fucking sign say? Because that's clearly the only thing that matters. Now, in the back, there's another person. Micah. And they have little, maybe little glasses on, but I think their eyes are just kind of shaded in. There's no lines going back to the ears. Um, and they just have a black shirt on. But this front, this person in the front is aghast at what the sign says. Okay? Yeah, I got, th- I had picked up on that. Do you want me to read what the sign says I would now? like you to finish this and put me out of my misery. Okay, the, the sign says... Road construction next 2,000 miles. To avoid delays, please use Canada. Oh, dang. That's a good burn on the U.S. Actually, okay, that, I don't know if you chose that for any reason other than so you could describe those stupid cars. But that does fit in a way with the second episode that we watched of Northern Exposure. I mean, that's a real stretch. It's a real stretch, but I mean, Canada is like a socialist country. Well, not yeah, really. They have socialized no. healthcare. They're not really socialized. Okay, well, never mind. But I, uh, that's uh, that's funny. Yeah, I thought it was a little weird in October. That seems like a summer comic. Like you would make that joke in the summer because people go on road trips and there's a lot of construction in the summer. Really? There's only construction in the summer? No, there's construction all the time but they do major freeway projects in the summer because it's warmer in some and places, they can work longer can do it. yeah huh you know john candy is also from canada and so that also ties planes trains and automobiles right back in here yeah wow so, so many I, connections i appreciate that mm-hmm. okay well north of canada there's a state uh called alaska and there was a show set there well, it's west of canada and north, northwest of Canada. Okay, depending on, yeah. And there's a show set there in the 90s called Northern Exposure. It's about a big city doctor who comes to the yeah. small town called Sicily. So that's it for See You in the Funny Papers. See you in the funny papers soon. Yeah, let's talk about Northern Exposure now. Episode five was called The Robe. There are three things that happen in this episode, just like all episode so far maybe may Um, i talk about one of them well can i just say what they are we talked about one already i know but i want to expand on it a little bit ventriloquist dummies we'll We'll talk about that um the ventriloquist dummy that chris finds pills oh my god is the other one yes and satan yeah big stuff happening here Big stuff. Let's just throw that in. Satan comes to Sicily. De- it can devil. be a little, a little subplot. The devil himself. I so I read the little synopsis. You know, they they're all the little, little episode summaries on each episode, and so I knew that Satan was coming to mm-hmm. Sicily, and I was kind of sad because I was like, I wouldn't know that this guy was Satan. But right. then he says it within like five minutes. Right away. He just comes out and says it. Yeah. He also has a goat in his he car. He does have a goat. He has a goat on a leash. A but I would goat? See, I would have, I don't think I would have immediately assumed Satan. Although he did then make a guy fall off his bike, like yeah. just by looking at him. So he's maybe a, I would have put it together. He's a whirlpool salesman. Yeah. He, send, he sells a big motor that you attach to the side of your bathtub with a tube on it and it just blows bubbles in there. Looks real shitty. <laughs> yeah, it sucks. I mean, if I was Satan selling whirlpools, they wouldn't you think they'd be awesome and not like a weird, awkward piece of shit? I mean, if it fell in yes. the bathtub, it would kill you. Yeah, but I also think it doesn't need to uh, be maybe that that's what great he wants, if it's Satan, because like he has the power to manipulate people right. into seeing it a certain way. 
You know what I mean? Which is what he does. He ha- It's basically like a MLM. Like he ha- hosts a little party yeah. and tries to sell it to all these ladies. But he takes a particular interest in Shelly. Yes, he does. And he gives her a Black Sabbath tape, which I thought was very funny. A bootleg from a I, show he was at. I thought that was hilarious. Yeah. Because it's the devil's music. That's pretty much it about that storyline. I don't care about it other than that. Nothing happens. He no. tries to get her what? to burn a robe and yeah, yada she's, yada. She's innocent. And so he's into her because he wants to turn her evil. To turn her soul. And so he basically, he asks her what her fate, he tries to like assault her at one point. Yeah, he like comes onto her. Yeah, it's, but then he grabs her. It's gross. And Holling is in the bathroom like it's in her house he just comes in it's fucking weird and gross so then to make it up to her he asks like what's your biggest dream and her biggest dream is that the brick will become a casino Uh uh-huh a big fancy casino so he says what's holling's favorite thing or just as a just as what do you hate or something i don't know what what bugs you about holling and she says he has this robe that i hate but he loves it and he says you have to burn it and then i'll turn the brick into a casino right just as a reminder because um it's not really easy to watch this show you'd have to like really work hard to go back and watch these episodes with along with us or whatever so if you can you, check it out on dvd at your you local library if you haven't watched it or you don't remember um shelly is the very young woman who is married to the very old man yes. and they run a restaurant together and it's called the brick yeah so that's who we're talking about. Um, yeah. Anyway, she wants a casino and she has a dream about it where it's, it seems very real and all her dreams come true. And, and so, yeah, he says, all you have to do is burn this robe Yeah. that Holling loves. And guess what? She can't bring herself to do it. She starts to do it, but then She's she puts pure. it out. She's too pure. So she doesn't get her fucking casino. So. And Satan leaves town disappointed. Yeah. It's kind of stupid. I, I mean. It's really weird. And I, it's. I was it's kind odd of ex- to me that they threw in this concept of like Satan coming to town right. as just a subplot. Yeah, that's the thing. Like, it doesn't I, go anywhere. They didn't like this show. I know that I took on um, episode six, which is the next one. Um, was that they really commit? Like, they go big. You know, they go balls to the wall. But with that particular thing, it was kind of like, like you had this opportunity. Like, I was kind of excited. Oh. Satan's coming to town? Okay. Like yeah, that's... but nobody notices that it's Satan except Shelly. I think she tells some, like Ed figures it out. Ed, of Ed course, knows. always knows. Ed knew. He's like, oh yeah, that makes sense. But nobody, Ed it's not is... a big deal in town. Ed it's is the... just Shelly. Ed is the Tlingit man who, which is the tribe uh, in this town and the surrounding area. Uh, but he is becoming a shaman and he is also just the most wonderful character and always knows what's going on and can see things and sense things that other people can't. There was one funny moment when Shelly was looking through books. I don't know what book it was or where she was. It wasn't like in the library. It was just a big old book and she looked up the devil and there's all these like wood prints, you know, like engravings, pictures of the devil through the years and stuff. Right. And then they look at one but and it's like, like oh, it looks it. exactly like this dude. <laughs> and it's this guy. He's just like a little bald dude with glasses. He kind of looks like Micah a little bit. It's uh, Charles Martin Smith is the actor. And he was in American Graffiti. He was much younger. Um, and he was in Never Cry Wolf, which is another movie that I really liked when I was a kid. I remember watching it. I was just kidding. You're way cuter than him. But I'm just saying like the... You know, probably about the same height, bald glasses. And he has like a little round nose. He's like a little comic strip character. He could be in the funny papers. Yeah, so that's the devil storyline. And um, I don't know. I felt like it was a little bit of a missed opportunity. Like they, I, I mean, I guess the point is, you know, it's possible for the pure of heart to stay pure of heart. Yeah, they really, they do commit hard to these really extravagant supernatural things that are metaphors that are they it's it is really strange like they they're all just metaphors about how these people are feeling so i feel like it i like it but i also feel like it kind of cheapens it like i wish it was just more realistic and i like the whole show you mean identify more with the people then Mm. you know what i mean like it's fun and it's it's funny but they're trying to make they're always trying to make these big points like 
Joel, again, we'll talk about this in episode six. It's all about him staying there. And like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like That's what, again, it comes down to that, which is funny in that one yeah. because, yeah. Anyway, um, we'll get back to it. But yeah, I don't know. I, I, I understand what you mean. Yeah, the supernatural things are, are cool and it gives them an opportunity to do like different characters. They've done this several times already. And I remember we were so naive and innocent, Jen, at the beginning of this. We were like, are all these episodes so wild? And, but they really like having the characters in the show play other characters that are kind of parallels yeah, to their character like in town. Um, and it gives them an opportunity to do that and be funny, but it's weird. I think it's not always funny though. It's not always for laughs either. Uh, okay. Can we talk about the pills a little bit? Yes. And then, cause I wanted to come back to the ventriloquist last for this one. The um, pill one is so frustrating. It's very frustrating to watch. Okay. For a couple. Okay. For several reasons. First of all, Joel Fleischman, he's the doctor in town. He's the, he's ro- played by Rob Morrow. He came from New York to this little town cause they paid for his med school or some shit. And when he applied for med school, he applied to yeah. John Hopkins they University. They call it John Hopkins. It's actually Johns Hopkins. He does also say Johns Hopkins, but a few times he says John Hopkins. Yeah. yeah but Which anyone who wanted to go to Johns Hopkins Medical School would not ever call it John Hopkins. Right. But he's an actor and didn't actually want to go there. And they didn't apparently do any research whatsoever. But let's retake that's that not one. You said John Hopkins. No, nobody cares. Not the point. The point is he's now been asked to facilitate an experiment for Johns Hopkins University. Yes. And the experiment is that he has two pills. It's like a cold medicine, yeah. is right? It? Is that what it is? It's like to keep you from getting colds or something. Yeah. So one is to keep you from getting colds or to treat a cold or to give you energy or I don't know because it does weird things to people. But Well, it's all... Yeah. Well, this is the thing. So there's that there's that pill and then there's a placebo. Okay. Yeah. And so he is randomly, you know, giving out the real pills and the placebos and well, keeping Well, at first he's sorting them with all of the pill bottles no, no, open on I the know. table. No, I I'm getting there. That's how you sort things. You get two big bags of pills. No. You he, open all the pill bottles two... and you sort them no. on one side. Well, yeah. And then the other side. But he has two giant jars of pills that are open. The lids are off. They're just sitting on the table wide open. And he's in his office. And And like a hundred little pill bottles. Yes. And they're all halfway full. Like he's just doing them one at a time. One for you, not one covered. placebo. Not one covered. for you, one placebo. All like, wide open. All this is wide the open. most inefficient and stupidest way to do it. Well, the reason that it's so frustrating... It's the best for comedy, though. ...is because he, of course, ends up leaving the office, and Ed is in there. I don't remember why. It doesn't matter. But Ed, uh, basically, he's like, oh, I got to step out for a minute. Ed, can you watch these pills? So can uh, these things really keep you from getting a cold? Well, I mean, we don't know that. That's why we're running the test. So you have the town will get the medication, half will get the placebo, and then... We'll see if there's any statistical differences. That'll tell us. Oh, very tricky. Yeah. So who gets the real ones? Luck of the draw. All right. Look, here's what I need you to do. First, just put the um, the caps on top of the vials, all right? Marilyn's uncle threw a, a rod. Four by, actually, so I'm going to go pick her up. All right? Just don't let anyone near those pills. Sure thing, Dr. Fleischman. Thanks, Ed. You know, just make sure nobody touches them. Make sure nothing happens to them. He's like course dr fleischman and then there's a that was a really good ed thank you and then there's a cat yep distracts him of course a cat comes in and he says "Uh uh-oh you got to get out of here i got to watch these pills right he's worried the cat's gonna fuck up the pills so he gets down on his hands and knees under the table to like follow the cat instead of walking around (laughs) the table he goes under a tiny fucking card table in which all of these pills <laughs> all the pills are in open in pill bottles open fucking jars and the cat does something that surprises him just jumps and runs away and he like jumps freaks out knocks the whole and table the, over knocks all the pills over and then he like frantically puts them back in like who knows what like placebos are everywhere the real pills are everywhere nobody knows what's happening and that's that storyline basically yep. i mean he Comes clean about it in the end, but 
He feels really bad. He of feels course. terrible. He's Ed, yeah. And Joel's pissed off. But I mean, yeah. they make up at the end because Ed comes and tells him he's sorry. And that's basically it. But it's funny because it all comes down to Joel's ego anyway for him. It's not really yeah. that he even cares about the experiment. He's just trying to impress these people who didn't let him into their med school. Yeah, it's all about Johns Hopkins. And so he's like appalled that now he's going to look like an idiot in front of these people. Um. Yeah, in the but meantime, yeah, also, there's like Maurice thinks that it's yeah. giving him more energy and his hips don't hurt or some bullshit. Like it's causing these miraculous things for people. Yeah. The pill that they took. But of course, in the end, he has no idea who took the real pill. So Yeah, so it was all a waste. And it was just, it's so, that one was so predictable and so silly. Like why even, it wasn't interesting in any way. It was I, just I Joel being an asshole again. This is the thing. Is like what, what... You know, not everything has to have a fucking moral or whatever or like a message, but I usually am looking for some, like, what are we going for here? Like, what does this say about these characters? And I think, I mean, I think it says a lot about Joel's ego and I think it says a lot about Ed that he, he, you know, has to tell him the truth in the end. Like he, and he doesn't for a while, like he lets him give pills out and everything, but, um, there's also another little part of this that I thought was good only because Marilyn's involved, but um, Maurice convinces Hayden to break into Joel's office to find, I don't know, the formula for the pills or something. Yeah. And he wants to have his friends, he has connections in Swiss pharma, I don't know. Uh, so Hayden breaks in and- Yeah, because he wants to recreate the pills, right? Breaks right. a bunch of stuff and he takes something and- um, Joel's in there trying to figure it out. He's like dusting for prints and he's got all this stuff and Marilyn's like, it's Hayden. I found his matchbook on the floor. Well, but they make it seem at first like she's just this like yeah. magical, you know, indigenous woman like with spiritual powers and she can sense who it was. <laughs> uh, but she's like, it was Hayden. Yeah, she's great. I-, I found his business card. I love her so much. It was uh, his matchbook. Sorry, his matchbook. Um, yeah, <laughs> Hayden does not have business cards. <laughs> That's how she knew. Yeah, what would it say? Like thief? I don't know, but um, did it say man? his name on the matchbook? Yeah, he's like a handyman and stuff. So he had a little matchbook okay. that he gives out. Okay. And he, so he didn't like turn the lights card. on. Uh, Joel was trying to dust for prints on the light switch. And she's like, he didn't turn the lights on. Well, didn't he like tromp mud all through yeah. the office and stuff yeah. too? Like he wasn't very careful. Let's talk about that ventriloquist yeah, so dummy. Just, just quickly before we go back, before we move on to the next episode. I actually ended up, I hated <laughs> the dummy. I really hated it. Have you I hated ever liked the, the ventriloquist dummy? On the radio. No, it's not. I mean, I, as a child, there was a period I remember being very impressed by this dude who could do that. His name was Jeff something. I don't know. <laughs> and I thought that was really cool. But that was like when I was like 10. And I haven't really been that into it since then. So I wasn't into it for any reason other than where it ended up going because what ends up happening is that the dummy whose name i can't remember he chris gives it a name esau esau thank you so biblical for some reason i don't know where that came from but um esau ends up being very popular because chris the things that esau says are funny uh and people people really start seeing it they start seeing him really as a separate entity, like people yeah. kind of do with dummies and ventriloquism, right? Like that's the idea. Well, and Chris is very philosophical and verbose. Right, And right. always has tons of different references and connections to things. He's and, a very deep thinker, yeah. a very big thinker. And um, Esau is much more grounded and simple and straightforward and common sense in his advice. He starts giving out advice on the radio show. Right. Callers call in and Chris will say, well, you know, Cicero would say this and this person would say this. And Esau is just like, you should do this. Right. And he's funny about it. But Walt, is it Walt, the old guy who is with Ruth Ann? They own the hardware store together or whatever. Walt invites Chris over for dinner, and Chris is like, oh, that's so nice. Like, why are you inviting me? And he's like, make sure you bring Esau. So he wants... So basically what ends up happening is Chris goes over there for dinner, and he brings Esau, and it's all chuckles and fucking giggles. And then Chris is trying to have an actual, like, real 
conversation with them. Yeah, and at he dinner. puts Esau down. And like they're all like, uh, I let's don't just care. go to bed. You know, I'll aside, Ruth Ann. Esau makes some very good points. That whole Western Ptolemaic view of the world with ego at its center. You know, I think it's half the reason we've dug ourselves so deep. You know what I mean? Oh, look at the time. I, I'm going to have to roll up my tent. Hey, hey, Ruth Ann, come on. We got a whole bottle of Petite Syrah here. We hadn't even opened it yet. Forget the wine, son. I want to talk about polystyrene versus pine in the dummy-making industry. Why? Is that a controversial issue? Genetic engineering? Don't get me started. <laughs> and, okay, so you called him insufferable earlier. And I, here's what I think about Chris. I personally find, I think Chris is one of my favorite characters. He is, he can't help it because it's, he's always thinking about big things and like kind of the deeper meaning in things. And, um, so, yes, I do think it can come across as insufferable, but it's also like what makes him really special and lovable. And I feel like I relate to that in a really big way. Like, I think that I am insufferable and what makes me insufferable makes me also lovable a little bit. I mean, maybe, I don't think you're insufferable, well, but... Um, that's kind of you to say. I think, Chris, I just said that because... His character is kind of no, insufferable in go, the show, and everybody off, everything is a loves him yeah. and thinks he's really sweet yeah. and stuff. But yeah, he just anybody asks him a question or says anything, and he just goes off on this weird philosophical tangent. Yeah, and so it happens in the next episode too. And Maurice tells him like, yeah. "No more philosophy." Right, right, right. But so, um, anyway, what I was getting to is that at the dinner party, he's trying to talk to them about something that matters to him. I can't remember what it was. They just, like, don't hear it. They're like, I don't give a fuck. And so he brings out Esau to basically say the same things. And but in a dumber, in a dumbed down way. And that's that's exactly that's where it ended for me was like, oh, man, this is like great commentary on hmm. how much you have to do that to get people to listen to you. Yeah. If you have big thoughts and ideas about things. People but don't want to fucking hear it. I felt like they also disagreed sometimes. And it was just it Him was more and about Yeah. And it was about style, but it was also like they were saying different things. It was like his it was like Chris's own inner turmoil. Yeah, or just a I don't know, another way for Chris to always hedge his bets because that's what he's always doing. He's talking about both sides of everything and consider this and consider that. But then Esau says it in a snappier, funnier way. And Chris felt like he was I really like hurt. Was, I felt like it was dumbed down. I, that's yeah, what I felt like. Maybe, was but like, he was really hurt in that scene yeah, because right. they were like, they didn't care what he had to say. They just want to go to bed. And yeah, as soon as he picked up Esau again, they're like, yeah, ha, ha, ha. That's the point. It's like, we are so simple. Like, just entertain us, show us the shiny shit. And I mean, what do, what do you think Fox News is? Why do you think Fox News exists? It's because it's entertainment, period. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. So um, that's why I thought that was an interesting plot line, even though it was super annoying also at, at times. Two other notes that I have about this episode, and then should we move on to the next one? Uh-huh. Um, so the first one is in the casino dream scene that Shelley has, there's a comedian, like a bad comedian, that's up mm -hmm. doing terrible one-liners, and it's Shecky Green, which he was an old like Vegas comedian. Or, oh. Yeah, he's just like terrible jokes um but he's the opener for chris and esau uh -huh. in the yeah. dream who are like a big deal a now. huge deal yeah. and they're wearing tuxes and it's mm -hmm. hilarious um the other note that i had is just a chris haircut update yeah um, yeah maybe we need to make this a segment for this northern exposure we need to comment thing. on it every time but we also <laughs> need to catch people up so like his hair was short his in this hair one. is a different length every episode yeah last episode it was long after having gotten it cut in the previous episode this episode it's somehow short again yeah it's been a whole bunch and of then different lengths in the next one it's long again yeah it's super long and short i think the i don't think it was ever short i think they had it really like slicked back, back and possibly and... in a little ponytail that you couldn't see yeah. back there or something uh yeah his hair is his hair is all over the place 
So, episode six. Zarya. Zarya. And we don't know why it's called Zarya. No, we don't. Maybe some, like, Russian historian that's listening right now could tell us. Um, we do, you know, we have a big contingent of Russian uh, historians. Yeah. Who listen yeah. to this podcast. Mm-hmm. They're so, always talking about. They're always uh, his, historian. Lenin and. Up the Russian. Marx. Things. Stuff like that. Means of production. Anyway. Russian nesting dolls. I mean, I have more questions. Other things. I have more important questions than why the episode is called Zarya, but. Hit me. What are they? Well, why the fuck? Okay. You said, why are they speaking English? My question (laughs) is, why are they speaking English in British fucking accents? Because that's, those are foreign people, Jen. No. In movies and TV shows. This irritated me. Foreigners have British accents. This irritated me because they, again, they committed, this episode is like a big, it's like an epic movie of an episode. And they really, again, they commit to it. They commit to like the old fashioned costumes and the lighting was it black and white no no it was like it wasn't black and white, but it was, kind yeah, of, yeah yeah the lighting was different they did all this stuff all these details and then the russian princess anastasia speaks with a british accent yeah and some of the other people speak with weird accents like like i don't know i it, i why that's not a hard why well why Jen, can't you just find an actress who can do a fucking russian accent because in the mid 90s um there weren't a lot of Russian people that had come over yet after the fall of the Soviet Union and everything. They were still there and they were, um, it was basically Yakov Smirnov was the only one. So it would have had to be Yakov Smirnov. Fine. Make him the fucking princess then. I don't care. I'm just saying it was so annoying. Yeah, that's always annoying to me. Like, um, I just, I don't know. That bothered me. I think me. the guy that played Lennon is actually British, too, and he... He looked like Lennon. And so was the other guy, the other dude that Michael DeBar, yeah, I think he looks, his name is. He's the guy who looks like uh, Russell Simmons. Nope. Nope. He's the guy who looks like Richard Simmons to me. Oh, he does. He might have played Richard Simmons in something. No one's ever played Richard okay, Simmons well, in anything, I don't know. Jen. I just, when I see him, I'm like, Richard Simmons. But I also... Maybe Saturday Night Live. I don't know. Me? I don't know. Anyway. No, he does look like Richard Simmons. I've right? never thought about that before. He doesn't have the big afro, That's but... That's all I think about. Um, he was him. in MacGyver. That's where I mostly know him from. Hmm. I'm still not sure what I know him from, but... He played Murdoch in MacGyver, which was like the big evil villain that would show up every once yeah, in a while. He's, I, in my mind, he is a villain. He He's yeah. villainous, so I've seen him in something where he's like a bad guy, but... Doesn't matter. Regardless, um, this episode is all, so it's basically Marilyn, okay, Marilyn's leg is hurting. Yep, that's it. That's what drives everything that's in this what episode. Drives it. Her leg is hurting. She goes to Ed and she tells him, my leg is really hurting. Um, and she's been having dreams about her grandfather and this story that he told her when she was a kid. But she can't remember the end. She can't remember the end. Yeah, right. But she's convinced that that the reason her leg is hurting, it's not a physical issue. It has to do with this story um, that her grandfather told her. So Ed takes video of Marilyn telling this no, story. No, 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 no. Film. I'm so sorry. It's a film what? camera. What's the... Okay. Who cares? What? Well, it, it's a big deal. Video he has and like film a... are that different? Yes. I mean, he does have like the actual reels of film. Yeah, yeah, he has an old film camera and he shoots it. And then it, when he's watching it and he's just interviewing her, he wants to make this film and have it be medicinal, he says, um, because he's studying to be a shaman and he wants to draw out the story and learn about it. Yeah. And so he interviews her. But then when he's watching the film later, he's really into film. That was something that well, I think was emphasized more in earlier seasons. Yeah, yeah. Um, but because he's like, have you ever seen a John Cassavetes film? Yeah, yeah. So when he's watching it, his when he's watching the footage later, there's a line down the middle or like on the side of Marilyn's face, and Chris is there too because Chris wants to borrow a different movie, and he's he's like, what's that line on there? And he's like, it's a scratch on the negative, and he's really disappointed because it kind of ruined his film he was making. Um, but it's black and white. He's watching it on this little like little tiny screen. This big like projector thing that just has a yeah. little yeah, it's really cool. Um, it is cool, yeah. And then all of a sudden, it as she's telling the story about her grandfather, Emery Whirlwind, who is called um, 
Tunuk or something. That was his name, which means back because he was really strong and they could put a lot of things on him um, metaphorically. Sure. He was around in like the early 1900s, right after the Russian Revolution. And as she's telling this part of the story, the there's like a, a wipe and it becomes the sepia tone thing and it's Ed riding a horse. Yeah, it's like the where the line is, it rips open and he he starts seeing the, the actual story. This happened a long time ago when my grandpa was a young man. There was this Russian princess, her father, the czar, and the rest of her family had been killed a few years before during the revolution. You're not talking about Anastasia. Anastasia Romanov, how'd you know? A famous movie, Yul Brenner, Ingrid Bergman. Anastasia was here in Sicily? That's what Grandpa said. It was a big secret. Oh, wow. He told Marilyn that he was, like, he's like, I love film, I really understand film, and maybe I'll be able to see something. You know, maybe I'll be able to figure it out. Basically, maybe I'll be able to find the ending to your story. Yeah, that's why he brings up John Cassavetes, because he's like, that movie, he didn't know He didn't know the ending. He just filmed it, and then it came out. And then in the end, that's one of the last things he says is like, you know, I guess we just don't know the end until we get to it. And that's sort of like, well, that's the point that I care about in this episode. It started out really pro-capitalist and anti-communist. I feel like it mostly stayed with that. There was some, I mean, Joel was like pro-communist or socialism or whatever but um not at the end though well but he he was like yeah they just i mean he said he basically says i'm not sure that life can be boiled down to class struggle and i'm like dialectical materialism do you think capitalism is (laughs) if not a class they make it super simplified and they're like humans can't be quantified and just boiled down to these things and we have to we have to keep our soul and we have to, yeah, yeah they it's did. Whatever. They made it, yeah, right. Because, because communism had no soul or no religion. Right. And also they made it seem like the people are more free in a capitalist society. The other part is, I mean, aside from all that shit, like, whatever, there's a whole story with a princess and Lenin and Lenin becoming more open minded, meaning more capitalist. Yeah. Um, well, interestingly, I thought that part was interesting because he goes into the store where Ruth Ann works. Yeah. And he sees her and he makes some comment about capitalism and how terrible it is. And the worker gets no money. Like, you know, like the store you work in. And she's like, well, I'm the owner. So I'm the person you're saying takes everything. And and he's like, what? You you mean your husband? And he, he says, you know, and capitalist societies women are so subjugated and so yeah you can't be and then he's like oh you have good posture and you're so strong i never thought a, a western woman could be like this mm-hmm. and then maggie also is playing a lady in waiting to the princess and she um she knows mechanics mechanics she's mm-hmm. like really smart and joel's like what where'd you learn about that yeah. um yeah so it was actually like pro woman too in a weird way but i guess it I was mean... really weird so just to back up a little bit, we should tell him the story. The whole setup for oh, this is that God, do we have to? after the Russian Revolution, all the Romanovs were killed, but Anastasia escaped and survived and lived in Sicily, Alaska. That's the for story. Years. Yeah. Right. And Ed, well, sorry, Marilyn's grandfather, yeah. who was played by Ed in the in the vision, um, like fell in love with the princess. I... Yeah. He's like a guide and he guided them through Alaska to the town and then later Lenin comes to visit and negotiate with the princess um, which is all bullshit none of that ever happened but uh, yeah the other thing one interesting thing I read about this episode Jen is that it's actually it's like a sequel of sorts to an episode they did in the third season called Sicily which Hmm. told the story of how the town was founded so at one point in this they talk about Sicily and Rosalind as if we know who they are and it's Uh because they covered that back then so some of the characters like Holling and Shelley were playing Abe and Sally, I think, and Ruth Ann's character that owned the store. Those were the same characters they played in the third season episode called Sicily. Okay. So this was like a callback to that. That's cool. Um, yeah, I I don't know. I it it again they went for it. They went big. It was all. Um, it was a little heavy handed and weird and. Well, and I, I, yeah. 
But I mean, it was. Um, it, it wasn't fully like, yay capitalism, but it kind of was, and that yeah, was disappointing. It, but the the part that was even more disappointing to me is the whitewashing of like colonialism and what happened to indigenous people. Like, you know, I don't know specifically with this tribe and in this town uh, what the story is, but like, you know, the settlers who came here fucking genocided the yeah. native people. So and Emery is the only native person they see yeah. back then and he's like everybody's friends with him and yeah, they exactly. respect him That's what and I it's mean. just it's like, like they're all getting along just fine which was probably the case in you know like there probably were obviously there was mixing of people but that's still a whitewashing of like yeah <laughs> what happened to their cultures and how they were treated and uh, I don't know yeah they didn't talk about that at all they do kind of but... Yeah, they do kind of gloss over that stuff. As much as they, they do try to, like, include Tlingit culture, which is cool, um, they don't really get into, you know, the real the real history of white people. Yeah. So there is kind of a, here. a thing that happens where um, Marilyn, her leg's hurting, and Joel thinks it's because she spends too much time on her feet at her second job in the concession stand in the theater, but she doesn't want to quit because she needs the money because she wants to buy a laser disc. And then at the end, all the characters within old Sicily like realize that, I don't know, there's this conflict the whole time between capitalism and communism, and Lenin eases up a little bit and starts his new economic policy because of this time in Sicily, supposedly. And Joel, the doctor... Lenin's doctor decides to stay there. I'm not going back. Mikhail Borisovich. Please, understand, it is not that I have lost faith in the revolution. It is, as a scientist, I am not sure anymore that life can be reduced to class struggle, to dialectical materialism, or any set of formulas. Let's go! Life is spontaneous, and it is, it is unpredictable. It is magical. I think that we have struggled so hard with the tangible that we have forgotten the intangible. Intangible. Suddenly become religious. And he gives this speech about how <laughs> yes. you have to like how you have to let go of some of the you need to I don't know. It was all bullshit. But it's <laughs> it's like you're so you've gotten so focused on the tangible, you've forgotten about the intangible. Yeah, the soul and yeah, the right. beauty of humanity and all of that stuff. So I mean, yeah. So Marilyn decides. Um, Joel says that, and then Ed says that back to Joel at the end because Marilyn's like, "Yeah, I quit my job. I don't need a laser disc player." Right, but Joel doesn't know what the fuck Ed's talking about. So yeah, <laughs> um, it was a weird episode. Yeah, and Marilyn says something at the end. She says, um. In the story, social systems fail, machines fail. There's something people keep forgetting. What was she talking about? I, I think she Did was that talking just about mean, the like, tangible, the, intangible thing. The intangible yeah. of life, like yeah. spirituality or the larger questions or whatever, mm-hmm. whatever you call that. Yeah. Um, also, just a last comment. Um, I'm pretty sure that Joel and Maggie are dating and are supposed to have been dating this whole time. I think... I don't think uh, you think they are. Yes, yet? well, I they think had they, are. they had dated in the past. No, I and know. Then they, she said in one of the episodes we just watched, like I can't believe I ever dated you. Like, no, they're I, not currently. I kind of hope they're not supposed to be dating because if they are, it's pretty bad. Like we never, we've only seen them like argue and bicker with each other. But they were at the bar together at the end of this episode. Yeah, well, it's, and I was it's like, like a Sam and Diane I... thing we've talked about. No, they were together before, and they're going to be by the end of the I show. I know that. I'm just worried, Micah, that they're supposed to be dating right now, and that would be really fucking bad if that's the case. So hopefully they aren't. I'm just saying. I don't think you have to worry about it. I know. You've made that clear, but I'm, I'm putting it out there. Well, I hope we're not dating right now, because all we're doing is bickering. Anyway, um... I don't have anything to say about Montana this week. So, like, I feel very, I feel like that time in my life was, is so far away from me right now. Like, it's like another life. I don't even feel connected to it at all. 
I mean, this did remind me of that one time that Lennon came to visit right, our right, school right. in Montana. And he was like, you guys are capitalist pigs. Like, you are raking in the dough from these kids' parents and, like, putting them to work at hard labor. And they're getting, like... You know what I mean? Like you guys are own the means of production. Was this and the this same? And they are like the um, comrades. Was this around the, the same proletariat, time if you will, when the um, vampires were there? Because because hmm? Lenin would have been like a zombie. He was long dead in the mid nineties when you were there. So I'm just trying to put together like, were you visited by a lot of monsters? You know, Micah, undead? it is. Amazing. It's just like a man, you know, a straight white cis man to like uh, try to correct me about my own experience. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like for you to tell me that. Uh, to know about like numbers and how Lennon, time works. Wait, was it V.I. Lenin? Uh-huh. I, V.I. Vladimir, Vladimir Ilyich. Ilyich. Ulyanov. <laughs> uh, Lenin. Uh, yeah. Uh, it's just. It's just amazing to me that you're going to try to sit here and tell me that, that that I never met him. You know, like you would know. I didn't say you've never met him. I just asked about, like, was he Anyway, dead thank you so much for listening, everybody. When he came um, to Montana. It's been a lot of fun, as always, and we appreciate you very much. Uh, if you like this podcast, tell a friend about it. Write a review. Become a patron if you want. Etc. That's it. We love you. Goodbye. Uh, thanks to Graham McRae for our artwork. Thank you to Fifi Folios for our internet stuff. Thanks to Minus Violet for our music. Until next time. See, see you in the, the 90s. 90s.